Good morning. Shabbat Shalom and welcome to United Israel World Union and the world and words of Jeremiah the prophet. This is class number four, Prophecy in the Days of Josiah. Prophecy in the Days of Josiah. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go a little bit wide on the approach. I'm going to take us to a point where we put some parameters on the time of Josiah, and I'm going to pull out some things from this period that I think are important and enable us to get inside the world and words of Jeremiah the prophet. Remember, we have five kings that make up the final 40 years, basically, of the kingdom of Judah. And so we want to we begin to focus on the reign of each of those kings. So we begin, obviously, in the beginning. We begin at the end, meaning we begin with the king Josiah, who leads us to the very end, basically. So what we're going to do is we're going to be focused on a specific time frame, namely the year 640 BCE until 609 BCE. So we're looking at this 31 years, basically, of the, uh, the time of Jeremiah. We're dealing with Josiah Ben Amon, Josiah Ben Amon, Yoshiahu. He assumes the throne after the assassination of his father, and he reigns until the time of his death on a battlefield or, now get this, or, and we have to go through both of these sources, he either dies on a battlefield or he dies in Jerusalem as a result of injuries that he sustained on a battlefield when he is engaged with the reluctant King Nico of Egypt at a place called Megiddo. We're going to talk about that as well. Now, I want to look at both of those texts to start us off. If you'll go with me this morning, I'm going to start with the JPS, but if you'll go with me this morning, let's look at 2 Kings chapter 23, 2 Kings chapter 23. I'm going to show you both of these accounts of the end of Josiah's time. Now, why am I going there? It will all make sense shortly. So if you go to chapter 23 of 2 Kings, verse, um, let's see, 2 Kings 23 and 30. Uh, let's go ahead and start in verse 29. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, marched against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. King Josiah marched toward him. But when he confronted him at Megiddo, Pharaoh Necho slew him. His servants conveyed his body in a chariot from Megiddo to Jerusalem, and they buried him in his tomb. Now, in the Hebrew, it says literally that he was killed and they took his dead body from Megiddo, where it was dead. They brought him to Jerusalem and they buried him. Now go to the account, same account, same story, but a different source. If you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 35, 2 Chronicles chapter 35, and let's begin... In verse 20, after all his furbishing of the temple by Josiah, or all of this furbishing, King Necho of Egypt came up to fight at Carchemish on the Euphrates, a little more specific, and Josiah went out against him. Necho sent messengers to him, saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I do not march against you this day, but against the kingdom that wars with me. And it is God's will that I hurry. Refrain them from interfering with God who is with me. This is the Egyptian king Necho to Josiah. That he'd not destroy you, but Josiah would not let him alone. Instead, he donned his armor to fight him, heedless of Necho's words from the mouth of God. And he came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. Archers shot 
King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Get me away from here, for I'm badly wounded. His servants carried him out of his chariot and put him in a wagon of his second-in-command and conveyed him to Jerusalem. There he died and was buried in the grave of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem went into mourning over Josiah. So we have two different accounts. That's not a big deal, but I want you to see both accounts. One account says that the end of Josiah comes on a battlefield at Megiddo. He's shot, he dies. They bring his dead body back to Jerusalem and bury him in a tomb. Chronicles give similar story. Battle takes place at Megiddo. He goes up, he's shot, he's badly wounded. They load him in another cart, they bring him to Jerusalem. You might say, well, what's the big deal? The bottom line is, Nico and the army of Egypt shoot and ultimately bring about the death of King Josiah. Now, my question beginning at the top of this class is, number one, why is it that Josiah is engaged in battle with Nico of Egypt? What's the purpose of that battle? And, and did he not have anyone to warn him? Think about this. He's 39 years old. We're going to take this apart. But I have questions when I look at this text. We're talking about the time of Josiah. We're talking specifically about prophecy in the days of Josiah. Now here, I just touched it. We'll come back to it shortly. But King Nico says, according to the mouth of God, don't mess with me because God has put me in this place to do this thing. Nico warns him, supposedly, from the mouth of God, which in a way is prophecy in the days of Josiah. Josiah doesn't listen. Josiah is killed. Now, according to Chronicles, Nico was en route to Carchemish on the Euphrates. Both accounts tell us that he's not going to fight against Judah. He's en route to fight the Assyrians, right? Nineveh had fallen in 612 BCE uh, to Babylonia, but Assyrian troops are still fighting in the northwest of Assyria. Now, we know this from other historical sources as well. There is a Babylonian chronicle, a cuneiform, cuneiform text that tells us that Nico was moving northward to support, he's, I said a minute ago he's fighting the Assyrians. He's not fighting the Assyrians. He's going to support the Assyrian forces against the Babylonians. So he, he's not worried about Judah. He doesn't want to fight with uh, uh, Josiah. He's going to fight uh, the uh, Babylonians. He's going to join up with the Assyrians. What comes across as being a very viable possibility, it's obvious actually, is that uh, Josiah has allied himself with the Babylonians apparently. You think, well, why is he siding with the Babylonians? Because in the politics of the day, Josiah apparently believes that the Babylonians are going to support and guarantee that he maintains control over an expanded kingdom of Judah. So what does he do? He sides with the Babylonian horse. So he knows that if Nico is going to side with the Assyrians, Josiah is going to side with the Babylonians. Now, the question is, who told Josiah to do that? Now, Josiah, as a result of this choice, as a result of engaging in this battle, and if we believe the writer of Chronicles, Chronicles has even Nico warns him, this has nothing to do with you, Josiah. Stay out because I'm doing God's work here. But he doesn't listen. Now, we're talking about prophecy in the days of Josiah. Wasn't... Were there not a couple of prophets that were running around 
Don't you think somebody might have said, Hey, Josiah, you're the godliest king ever. Thus saith the Lord, don't engage in battle. Now, the other option is, did God approve of Josiah being slain at the age of 39 on a battlefield? After all that he's done, these are some questions that I have. Readers of these stories are left with a big puzzle. This narrative in the 31st year, this takes place in the 31st year, uh, and, and in the text, the way that the text flows, you go from the 18th year, you read about the 18th year and some great things that, that happen in Josiah's reign as a result of his righteousness, and then the next thing you read is the 31st year in this battle with Nico. So it goes from the highest point in Josiah's life until he's getting killed on a battlefield. Now, my question is, I I just find this puzzling because the 18th year, again, is the pinnacle of the greatest king and and it talks about a great discovery and a great reform. There is the discovery, if you recall, of the Moses scroll, the original scroll that Moses wrote According to the narrative in 2 Kings 22-23, 2 Chronicles 34-35, that scroll that Moses wrote would have been, let's say, 800-900 years old. That was found in the temple. There's a great uh, reformation which follows. The Passover of 622. Remember in, in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 32 It says that there has not been a Passover like this in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, the year 622. There's not been a Passover like this since the days of the judges. The writer of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 35, 18, says that there's not been a Passover like this since the days of Samuel the prophet. Now, 2 Kings... 23, look at 2 Kings 23 with me. I've got a passage I want you to look at. 2 Kings 23, verse 25. Here's what it says about Josiah. 2 Kings 23, 25. There was no king like him before him who turned back to the Lord with all his heart and soul and might, in full accord with the teaching of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Now, that's a very nice statement about a king. There's been none like him before. There are none like him after. In Deuteronomic language and in no uncertain terms, the writer of Kings puts Josiah at the top of all of the monarchy. Now, according to 2 Kings 23-25, that puts him above David, above Hezekiah. Now, by the way, Chronicles doesn't say this about uh, Josiah, but Kings does. So what happened? How did such a righteous king find himself dead or dying on a battlefield at Megiddo against an opponent in a battle that he could have, should have, or possibly both not been involved in in the first place. Why was he there? Was there no one around him? I mean, the Chronicle, as we read, says that Nico warns him, don't do this. He had a warning. But was there no one around Josiah that was testifying that this was not a good idea. Who is advising Josiah? Had not his exemplary righteous life we just read about, in other words, 2 Kings 23, 25 says he's the greatest king ever. He's pursued God with all his heart, soul, and mind, just like in Deuteronomy 6 it says we should. Nobody like him ever before or after. Next thing we read is he gets killed on a battlefield. Did did it not did he not deserve a heads up that this was a bad idea? He's 39. Had not Judah and Jerusalem 
gone through a great revival, a reformation, because of his righteousness. Wasn't the temple restored in his day? By the way, all the answers to these questions, I'm going to give them to you. The answer is yes. The temple was restored. Sacrifices were being offered on the altar. The original Torah, the one that Moses wrote, was found in his day. And we'll get into more detail of these things later, in a later class. The Ark of the Covenant, which was not in the temple when the temple was restored, I'll show that clearly from the text later, was put back into the temple because the Levites could then trust that the king was not wicked and wouldn't do bad things. The Passover was restored. He re-led, or he, re, he led a re-covenanting among the people of his day in the 18th year of his reign. 2 Kings 23, listen to this. 23.3. This is uh, uh, this restoration. He says, the, verse 3, The king stood by the pillar and solemnized the covenant before the Lord, that they would follow the Lord and observe his commandments, his injunctions, and his laws with all their heart and soul. There's that phrase again, Deuteronomy language. That they would fulfill all the terms of the covenant as inscribed upon the scroll and all the people entered into the covenant. This is Josiah leading this. So things are going great. The greatest king ever leading the greatest revival, the greatest reform of all time. Was it not Josiah who, according to 1 Kings 13, like 300 years before he was born, was it not this King Josiah that was predicted by a man of God who approached the altar as Jeroboam is offering uh, illegal sacrifices and such, and, and the man of God in 1 Kings 13 says, Oh, altar, altar, your end is coming and all the wicked priests are going to die. And this is the guy. This is... Josiah, who fulfilled this. So my question is, who was advising King Josiah? Now we know, and you're going to know more and more about this in the coming weeks, we know that there were two prophets of God, one by the name of Zephaniah and the other by the name of Jeremiah, Zephaniah and Yirmiyahu, both of these prophets are operating in the reign, during the reign of Josiah. Now what is quite strange to me, striking, is that Kings and Chronicles have no mention whatsoever of Josiah ever consulting with Zephaniah or with Jeremiah. Now you would think that that would be something that would be mentioned. Stick with me. There is no record of either one bringing the word of the Lord to the palace. You know, we have stories in the Hebrew Bible. The, the writers of the Hebrew Bible are always ready and willing to tell us about cases such as Nathan, going before King David. And the prophet comes and he says, Thus saith the Lord David. And David is, right? We have the prophets interacting with the kings. We have Isaiah going to Hezekiah. Remember the story about the sundial and the sickness of Hezekiah. We have these interactions between the office of the prophet and the office of the king. But in the days of Josiah... There's not a mention. Now we have a couple of places where we could find it if it were there. Kings, 2 Kings 23, 22, 23, 2 Chronicles 34, 35, none. Zilch. We have the book of Jeremiah, none. We have the book of Zephaniah, 
not a single, not a single mention that these prophets went before the king. Question, did Josiah ever meet Zephaniah or Jeremiah? You might say, well, how could we know? Well, stick with me. Let's see if the text suggests that it ever happened. Did he ever even hear the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah or Zephaniah during his 31-year reign? Did he or did he not? We don't have any example. I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer, but we're going to keep digging deeper because this question is compelling us to look closer. We know, for instance, that the scroll of Moses was found in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. Now, again, I'm touching some of these subjects which will be really drilled into in a further class, but I just want to build the case today for something much more important uh, that builds a framework around the days of Josiah. 18th year of his reign, it's 622 BCE, the scroll is discovered, and this sets off his great reform. Now, um, while Zephaniah only tells us, the opening of the book of Zephaniah says, these are the words of Zephaniah, Zephaniah received the word of the Lord, in the days, in the days of Josiah son of Ammon, but it gives no further qualification. In other words, it just says it's sometime during the reign of Josiah. Now, a lot of people don't know this. They read the prophet Zephaniah if they read it. You know, I like to ask people sometimes, when's the last time you read Zephaniah? And people go, mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever read Zephaniah. Well, when's, let me ask you, because you're all good Bible students, you probably have just read it recently. So if, if I ask you who read and study the Bible, when's the last time you read Zephaniah? through the lens of the days of Josiah? Now, that is a better question. Because what we need to do is we need to think about, are there things in Zephaniah's prophecies that we can make sense of if we look at it through the right lens in the right context? Look, we're not talking about Nostradamus and some vague, mystical mumbo-jumbo here. These are supposedly prophets from God that are giving us the news of the day with the insight of God. Now, we don't know if Zephaniah was prophesying at the beginning of Josiah's reign. We don't know if he's prophesying at the end of Josiah's reign uh, reign or throughout the entire 31 years. We just don't know. We don't know if it's before the reform or after the reform or if his prophecies go beyond both unless we really study this. Now, if we've studied it, we might in fact know what the deal is. We might be able to find and pinpoint a specific time. But Josiah and Zephaniah, so far as we know, never met to discuss this great discovery. Think about it. The, great, the, the scroll that Moses wrote, it's discovered during the days of Josiah. Zephaniah and, Jos- and Jeremiah are both prophesying. You would think that when the scroll was discovered, the king would say, bring in the prophets. Let me talk to Jeremiah and Zephaniah. Bring those boys in. Let's talk about this. I just found the scroll of Moses. Now, that doesn't happen. So what about Jeremiah? The word of the Lord is coming to Jeremiah from the 13th year of Josiah's reign. The 13th year. That means that if the scroll is discovered in the 18th year of Josiah, Jeremiah has been a prophet for five years. The word of the Lord has been coming to him for five years. Next week we get into what's happening in those five years. But... He's been hearing the word of the Lord for five years. Does Josiah say, I need to talk to a prophet, bring me Jeremiah. I need to discuss with him about this great reform that I'm going to do as a result of finding this scroll. 
Josiah, per our sources, doesn't go to Zeph or Jerry at all. He doesn't talk to either one of these guys. What does he do? Who does he call? Who does he talk to? He, con- he contacts, he sends the discovery team to a prophetess by the name of Huldah. You remember this? Now, Huldah lives in the Mishneh. Huldah lives in the Mishneh, which is in the Jewish quarter. Today, if you go to the Jewish quarter, it's in the area, we believe, where the Jewish and the Armenian quarter are. So they go there, and they want to tell the prophetess Huldah about this discovery. No mention of Jeremiah, no mention of Zephaniah. And Huldah tells them, the people who are sent to her, that destruction is coming. Destruction is coming, and that furthermore, she says, now look, you tell the king, the man that sent you, that because of his response and his reaction to this discovery, that he humbled himself and he's seeking repentance, that uh, destruction is coming. Be, Be assured of that. However, that king, Josiah, what does she say? He will be gathered to his grave in peace. Now, why did I begin with the story of Josiah's death? Huldah said, look, you're not getting out of the destruction. It's coming. But Josiah is such a righteous king, he'll die peacefully. Destruction did in fact come. And Josiah did in fact go to his grave. But I ask you, are injuries resulting from a battle, is that your idea of going to the grave in peace? I hope to live to be 120. And I don't know how I want to die. I don't want to die. But, and that might be kind of cool to get shot with an arrow or something, to give people stuff to talk about. But there's a, there's a much more peaceful way to go. Josiah died not in peace but in battle. And furthermore, he died in a battle that he seemingly had no business being involved in. There's no record of Josiah ever consulting Zephaniah or Jeremiah, and I would propose that he likely did not even know who they were. Now, here's what we do know about Josiah and Zephaniah. Neither neither Zephaniah nor Jeremiah focus at all, focus at all on his reform. Neither of them get behind his reform, at least in the text. Stick with me. I'm, I'm a Bible guy. I'm a text guy. I think it's important we stick with what we have as sources. There's no source that said Jeremiah or Zephaniah said, Hey, everybody, things are going great now. We found the scroll. We need you to line up and and keep the festivals. And, you know, because thank God we have our good, righteous king, Josiah, here. There's no mention of them getting behind, supporting it. And what is most striking to me, get this, I don't even think they were distracted by it. In other words, with all that's going on, imagine the talk in the street. The priests are like, hey, we got us a good righteous king now. We can get back into business. We got the temple fired up. The altar's going again. The Ark of the Covenant is finally back in the Holy of Holies. I know some of you are saying, why does he keep saying that? The the Ark's been there the whole time. No, it hasn't. Not if you read the text. But the temple is back. Everything's going good. Revival is in the land. And you know what? The prophets, they don't even... It's like they have blinders on. They're not at all focused on the good stuff going on around them. The question for them is, the promise of destruction is their constant warning. And the plea for repentance 
is their constant cry. Now, didn't we just read in 2 Kings 23 that there's this great revival, verse 3, the king Josiah stands up and he says, everybody, we're going to all keep the law with our whole heart and soul. And everybody says, yes, yes, please, we're going to do that. Yes, yes. So people get the idea that things are going lovely. Guess what Jeremiah and Zephaniah never mention? Boy, you guys are doing a good job. Thank you, Josiah, for bringing them to this revival tent meeting and getting them going in the right direction because now everything's nice. They never mention it. Their focus is on the destruction that's coming and they want the people to repent. Jeremiah prophesied for 19 years of Josiah's reign. Josiah's name appears in the book of Jeremiah 18 times. Josiah's name appears in the book of Jeremiah 18 times. Remember, he's he's a prophet for 19 years of the 31 years of Josiah's reign. His name of Josiah appears 18 times. But 14 of those are talking about someone else because it's hooked to the phrase son of, the son of Josiah, the son of Josiah. 14 of the 18 deal with not uh, Josiah, not Josiah, but with Uh, the son of, or a son of, one of Josiah's sons. Now, there's only one, there's only one text that says, the Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah. And we're going to get into that next week, but that's chapter 3, verse 6. The Lord said to me in the days of Josiah. Now, I will tell you, that there are things that take place during the reign of Josiah that context shows us, but as far as the actual, literal, specific reference to a word of the Lord in the days of Josiah, one passage, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. Now, what I want you to do, though, is go with me to Jeremiah 22. Jeremiah chapter 22. And I want to read verse 15. Now, this message is interesting. It's set off by white spaces from chapter 22, verse 13 to uh, chapter 22, verse 17. I'm only going to read 15 and 16. But this is uh, the word of the Lord or Jeremiah saying, Do you think... He's not talking to Josiah. I want you to see he's referring to Josiah, but he's talking to one of his sons. Uh, And don't be too quick to identify which son it is. It's not as clear as you think. Verse 15, do you think you're more a king because you compete in cedar? Your father, meaning Josiah, ate and drank and dispensed justice and equity. Then all went well with him. He upheld the rights of the poor and the needy. Then all was well. This is truly heeding me, declares the Lord. That's the JPS. But the message to one of Josiah's sons is, you think that you're a king and you tie your monarchy to the idea of building projects? Let me tell you what God really wants. And so Josiah is spoken of in a very positive light. He dispensed justice and equity. Uh, He upheld the rights of the people and the needy. But this would have been a great opportunity if the timing was right to say, and he led the people into a great covenant renewal and so forth and so on. But the bottom line is we have very little precious little in the book of Jeremiah, and I will show even less so in the book of Zephaniah, where the focus is on Josiah or his wonderful deeds of reformation. According to 2 Chronicles 35.25, we read that when Josiah died, Jeremiah lamented. Go with me to 2 Chronicles 
2 Chronicles 35, and we want to go to um, verse 25, 35-25. Jeremiah, it says, well, let's look at verse 24. His servants, talking about Josiah, carried him out of his chariot and put him in the wagon of his second-in-command and conveyed him to Jerusalem. There he died and was buried in the grave of his fathers, and all Judah and Jerusalem went into mourning over Josiah. Jeremiah composed laments for Josiah, which all the singers, male and female, recited in their laments for Josiah, as is done to this day. They became customary in Israel and were incorporated into the laments. Now, kings doesn't report this, and the vague reference to the laments is not helpful. In other words, we don't know, based on this, uh, what the lament consisted of. Now, a lot of people have said, well, maybe it's in the book of Lamentations. Well, uh, the book of Lamentations, does it contain anything that sounds like it's talking about uh, Josiah, that's a good study project for you. Go see. Uh, or is it talking about something else? And then the other thing is, there's this comment that says, to this day. So when you look at Second Chronicles 35, it's saying that these laments over Jeremiah became, uh, over Josiah became the custom. Men and women singers and whoever is writing this they're writing at a time much later because they said, look, the, the mourning for Josiah still goes on to this day. Well, if that's written like right after he dies, somebody would say, well, yeah, he just died. Of course they're still going on. The funeral's still in procession. So this is someone writing at a later period. It's called an anachronism. Remember, we learned this term. It's taking something that isn't contemporary and it's putting it into an earlier story. Now, does that mean I don't believe that they lamented for Josiah for long periods of time? Maybe. I mean, they could have. But that's not the point. The point is it's written at a later date. That is clear. Now, I want to shift gears just for a few moments, and I want to look at Zephaniah. Go with me to the book of Zephaniah. Now, in Zephaniah, we are dealing with a prophet that is prophesying at the time of Josiah. Let's start, let's look first at Jeremiah chapter 1, I'm sorry, Zephaniah, apologize, Zephaniah 1.1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, during the reign of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah. Now, you remember in Jeremiah it says, and uh, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in the days of Josiah, from the 13th year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, and it also came in the days of Zedekiah, until the 11th year of his reign in the carrying away of captivity. This says simply, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon. So that's not very specific, is it? It gives us a window from 640 to 609 BCE. The question is, is there anything in the text of Ze Zephaniah that says, you know what, I think this happens early in the reign, I think this indicates that it's coming later in the reign of Josiah. This is before, this is after the discovery of the scroll. Are there any details like that? Because listen, you can read Zephaniah, if you will, I encourage you to do that, and you cannot get anything, and you can read it through a lens that is totally not focused on the days of Josiah. But my question is, if you understand that we do know some things that happened in the days of Josiah, and then you read it, would you be able to see anything relevant? And the answer to that is yes. 
We're going to look at this. Now, we're going to make a lot more sense of Zephaniah, even though our study is on the world and words of Jeremiah. Notice how I can bring this in, though, because the world of Jeremiah includes the contemporary prophetess Huldah, the prophet Zephaniah, and a whole host of other characters. So that's how I'm bringing that in. Now, if you look at uh, Zephaniah 1.4, let me bring this in. This is God speaking through Zephaniah, according to the text. He says, I will stretch out my arm against Judah and against all who dwell in Jerusalem, and I will wipe out from this place every vestige of Baal and the name of the priestlings along with the priest. Now, in Hebrew, it's uh, kimarim. It's a term that's used for pagan priest. Now, what I want to do is stop here just for a moment. Zephaniah is looking at the world he lives in, and he recognizes it's corrupt, it's wicked as hell. He's got uh, vestiges of Baal, Baal worship, in Jerusalem. He's predicting a destruction coming, and it's tied to this bad worship. And you have bad priests... You have Kimarim, these pagan priests, and guess where they're working? They're not at the Baptist church. They're in the temple. You know, we can't blame this on some other pagan religion. This is, they're part of the priesthood. But God, through the prophet, is referring to them as Kimarim. Now, look at this. Uh, Whenever I read this, I think about uh, what he just said. So he's talking about cutting off the remnant. Vestiges is JPS. In Hebrew, it's the the remnant of Baal. Destroy the wicked priest, and the end of false religion is on its way. That's what Zephaniah is saying. Now let me ask you something. If you go back to 1 Kings 13, there is a prediction that there's coming a king by the name of Josiah, and what's he going to do? This is what he's going to do. So now when you look at Zephaniah, you understand Zephaniah is in this world. There's a prophecy about Josiah. He's going to do all this against the prophets of Baal. And and Zephaniah is saying, hey, it's coming. Now look at verse 7, Zephaniah 1.7. Be silent before my Lord God, for the day of the Lord is approaching. The day has prepared, for the Lord has prepared a sacrificial feast has bidden his guests purify themselves. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who don a foreign vestment. I will also punish on that day everyone who steps over the threshold, who fill their master's palace with lawlessness and fraud. In that day there shall be, declares the Lord, and it goes on. Now look, I mentioned uh, the the prophecies, quote-unquote, air quotes, of uh, Nostradamus. People say, yeah, it says this, and and he predicted this. You ever read those? I mean, my God, man. It's it's so fantastical, and, and I've read them, believe me. This is different, but if you don't understand the context, it feels a little Nostradamus-y if that's a word. It feels a little like, what in the world is Zephaniah talking about? But let me give you a couple of clues. When I look at this, the first thing that I want to point out is, people talk about the day of the Lord is coming. The prophets always talk about People have written books on this, and they think they understand the day of the Lord. Is it some future eschatological major event that's coming, or is it something that they're predicting that's coming soon, like in their day? Is this day of the Lord that he's talking about some future event that's coming? A lot of prophecy students uh, who don't know prophecy think that. But look at this. This says he's prepared a sacrificial feast. Um, What what I'm going to suggest to you is that that language shows up in other places. For instance, Isaiah 34, 6 refers to a sacrificial feast that's coming. In the days of Isaiah, it's talked about. I'm going to suggest to you that already happened. 
Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 17 and verse 19 talk about a uh, sacrificial feast that seems to be pointing forward. My question is, I and well, the answer is uh, coming at you real soon. I think that this is talking about something that he sees on the immediate horizon. What is this feast that's coming up, sacrificial thing that's coming? Well, I want you to go with me. Remember, Zephaniah has a contemporary. His name is Yermiyahu. So if Jeremiah is talking about a sacrificial feast that's coming, and Zephaniah, maybe they're talking about the same feast. Go to Jeremiah. Hold your hand here, by the way. You're going to need a few hands to do this right. Jeremiah 46, or get good at finding Zephaniah. Uh, Jeremiah 46. Uh, Let's go to verse 10. But that day shall be for the Lord God of hosts a day when he exacts retribution from his foes. The sword shall devour, it shall be sated and drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts is preparing a sacrifice in the north land by the river Euphrates. Now wait a minute. Where have I heard that? This morning. There's a sacrificial feast. It's got, let me tell you where it's at, because everybody wants to know the address. If you're being invited to a feast... Where, where is this feast? Well, it's going to be up by the river Euphrates. The Lord is preparing a sacrifice. It's going to be in the north country. Interesting. Now, if I look at Zephaniah, he said that there's an invitation that's gone out. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, where is it at? Hold your hand there. Go back to Jeremiah 46.10. It's up in the north by the river Euphrates. And, and so you get... Oh, okay, I've got two prophets who are talking about the same sacrificial priest. Now go back to Jeremiah 46, verse 1. Let's get a little bit of context. The word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah concerning the nations. Verse 2, concerning Egypt and about the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt which was at the river Euphrates near Carchemish, and which was defeated by King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Kadrezer of Babylon, in the fourth year of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah. Now, first thing I want you to recognize is the sacrificial feast that's being referred to in Zephaniah and in Jeremiah is taking place in this region Near the Euphrates, Carchemish, there's this battle that's going on. Now, remember, Zephaniah is prophesying in the days of Josiah, not in the day, like Jeremiah 46 is giving us, we're zoomed in on the fourth year of Jehoiakim, and so uh, it's giving us like an on-the-spot, whereas Zephaniah is predicting this sacrifice is coming. It makes sense? Now, the battle at Carchemish, you have Egypt and Babylon. This is, by the way, where Josiah goes and gets shot and either dies on the field or goes to Jerusalem and dies. But it was ultimately here that the death blow was administered to the most righteous king ever at the sacrificial feast spot. Now, perhaps... Again, Zephaniah 1.7 is looking towards the battle yet to happen, and Jeremiah is the man on the ground during the time when it happens. Perhaps that's right, but he's referring to it. And by the way, if you look at uh, in Jeremiah where I just read, you can just think about this. If you've gone back to Zephaniah, it's okay. In chapter 46 uh, of, of uh, Jeremiah, it says it's the fourth year of uh, Jehoiakim. Now, a lot happens in that fourth year. Remember, that's the year that Jeremiah's original scroll was written. How do we know that? Because of Jeremiah 36, fourth year of Jehoiakim. We also know that chapter 25, the fourth year of Jehoiakim, is, uh, is set in the context of that same year 
We also know that chapter 44 and 46 are all in that same time frame. But we're not there yet. We're not not even in the days of Jehoiakim. I'm just using this to illustrate something. Now, look back at Zephaniah 1.8. And on that day, in the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who don a foreign vestment. Here's what Zephaniah sees. He says, look here. This thing is coming and I'm going to punish officials. I'm going to punish the king's sons. And there's one other group and that group is those who array themselves in foreign clothing. I'm going to ask you a question. Could this be, knowing what we as good Bible students know, the setting and the context, could it be that Zephaniah is saying, if you ally yourself, you become an ally with these foreign groups, you're going to be among those who get punished? I think it could very well. You know why? Because it's the only thing that makes sense historically. Zephaniah paints Judah and Jerusalem in a, let's say it nicely, not so favorable way. He's not at all favorable about the goings-on where we think when we read about the, what's going on in Jerusalem, yay, we've got Josiah... He's come, he's the one that was predicted, he's gotten rid of all the false religion, everyone's going to Shabbat services, they're all praying in the temple, they're bringing sacrifices, holy, holy, holy are the people. That is not what Zephaniah and Jeremiah say at all. They never mention it. They say, repent, repent, destruction is coming. You know, and you think people on the street are like, what is the big deal with these two guys? Look at things. They're going okay. I mean, we've got our side won the election. You know, it's going all right. Zephaniah paints a picture that looks like this. The corruption of political leaders is off the chain. And listen, you you think, well, at least the religious leaders have it all together. That's not what Jeremiah says, and it's not what Zephaniah says. They paint a picture of corruption that is in the political and the religious realm. All of it's bad. Zephaniah's second chapter uh, is a call to the humble of the land. We're not going to read through this today. Uh, But it's a call to the humble of the land. Let me tell you what he does not say. He doesn't say, I'm appealing to you humble, God-fearing people Because if you get your act together, you can avert the destruction. That's not what he says. Destruction is imminent. You know what he tells them, the humble of the land? He said, please, I I pray that you're hidden in the time of the Lord's anger. You know what the one thing that Jeremiah and Zephaniah never lose focus of? This bad boy is going down. This place is going up in flames. All of it. It's going to be destroyed. Nothing's going, to re- nothing's going to last. You read the opening words of Zephaniah, it's apocalyptic. It's the end of the world. Everything will be destroyed, not a single person left. You know, he paints this. Like you ought to, if you heard this on the street, you'd be like, golly, man. I mean, we got the temple back. I mean, we got the... It, Were you not at the thing where we all promised to obey God, Zephaniah? My goodness, man, ease up. None of that that happens. Now, he says, uh, Zephaniah tells them, Ulai, Ulai, that they will be hidden. Perhaps, he's not even sure, get this, that even the elect will be saved. It's bad. Make no mistake, the prophecies, uh, prophecy in the days of Josiah was consistent on one point, 
Huldah got it right. Zephaniah got it right. Jeremiah got it right. And what's that consistent point? The end is coming. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, history obliged. Because that's exactly what happened. Now, uh, Zephaniah, I want to look at uh, Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3. And I want to read uh, verse 3, Zephaniah 3, 3. This is what Zephaniah taught. Let's start in verse 1. So you get a feel for what Zephaniah thought about this beautiful land of Judah and the lovely religion that was going on there. Ah, sullied, polluted, overbearing city. She's been disobedient, has learned no lesson. She's not trusted in the Lord, has not drawn near to her God. The officials within her are roaring lions. Roaring lions. Her judges are wolves of the steppe that leave no bone until morning. Her prophets are reckless, faithless fellows. Her priests profane what is holy. They give perverse rulings. By the way, literally, you know what it says? They violate Torah or they do violence to Torah. Who is that we're talking about? The priest. Those who handle the Torah of God in the days of Josiah are doing bad things to the text. Listen to this. Officials, you go, tell me about your officials, Zephaniah. We're here with uh, Channel 2 News. Tell us, what do you think about the officials? They're, uh, they're like r- roaring lions. Yeah, well, what, what about the judges, uh, Zephaniah? It, let me tell you, they're like evening wolves that leave nothing until the morning. They're going to eat all night to make sure that everything is gone. Yeah, but surely the priests, Zephaniah, how are the priests? The priests, let me tell you about the priest. Not only do they profane what is holy, but they do violence to the Torah. That's the priest. That's not the political leaders. That's the people who've been tasked with taking care of holy things. By the way, there's another prophet that prophesied uh, at the same time. His name is Jeremiah. You may have heard of him. He also talks about violence done to the Torah. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 8. I think it's about the same time as this prophecy here comes through. Uh, He says this, because Zephaniah just said, the priests do violence to the Torah. And, And Jeremiah says... Who are we to say that we are wise and the Torah of the Lord is with us when the lying pen of the scribes has made it a lie? What? Somebody is putting things into the Torah in the days of Zephaniah and Jeremiah, or at least that's what they say. I know it's a bit shocking. Zephaniah and Jeremiah, both prophets in the days of... uh, Jeremiah and Zephaniah, both prophets in the days of Josiah. Neither of these two prophets focus on Josiah or his reform. They see destruction is unavoidable and near. Now, they do encourage repentance. But you know what that repentance is going to do? It's not going to stop the destruction. But you still want to have it, you still want to have your life right. The end is coming. But that doesn't, you should still worry about, you know, am I living right? Am I right with God? Even more so. They also do see, by the way, both Jeremiah and Zephaniah see good days coming. You know, Jeremiah, we're going to talk about all this. He he sees, and it's it's exemplified, it's it's Uh, shown in his writings. He sees days coming when this or that's going to happen. Remember, because we're going to really get into next week about Jeremiah and his calling, but what's he there to do? He's to tear down and destroy, and then he's to build and to plant. Well, in his tear down and destroy phase, you know why that's part of his job? Because guess what? It's going to happen. Now, he's also got to tell you that we're going to have some good things coming. 
You won't see them in your lifetime, by the way, is his message. But days are coming, saith the Lord, when I will do these things. Now, the main question that we have when we look at Jeremiah and Zephaniah and the prophecies of both of these people, we have to look at, can we discern the timing of their words? Where do these prophecies of Jeremiah and Zephaniah align? I just gave you one example. Zephaniah is looking at the priesthood, the days of Josiah. He's saying the priests are bad, they're spoiled, they're, they're, they're evil, and they're doing violence to the Torah, whatever that means. Jeremiah says the priests are bad, they're doing bad things, and oh, by the way, somebody is putting things in the Torah that don't belong. So they're saying the same thing. That means that at that time, we ought to be able to find evidence of such, and we can and we will. Now, if one were to read the words of Zephaniah and Jeremiah... And just those two books, let's say you didn't read Kings and Chronicles about the revival and the reformation of Josiah. If you read Kings and Chronicles alone, you have a pretty favorable picture of the reign of Josiah. But if you didn't have those, and you just read Jeremiah, and you just read uh, Zephaniah, you would not at all have a favorable position on uh, Josiah's reign. If you read Zephaniah, you wouldn't even know his name. You, you would know about the sons of the kings that are going to, the king that's going to be punished. But if you don't have the historical context, who's the king? Josiah. So when he says the king's sons are going to be punished ultimately, guess who he's talking about? Shalom, Yehoiachaz, Yehoiakim, Yekaniah, Zedekiah. And guess what happens to them? They're punished. That, that's who he's talking about. You're not looking to Hezekiah historically. You're looking at a specific place. You have to read to figure it out. It's a clue. It's a hint. And it's not a hard one either. But when we look at these texts, if I read Jeremiah and I said, is Josiah a good guy? You know, the only thing that Jeremiah says that could be about Josiah is Jeremiah chapter 22 verse 15 and 16, he's talking to one of Josiah's sons, hard to tell which one, and I know people can say, well, right above it's talking about Shalom, which is Jehoiakaz. Don't, don't think that. That's, we'll get to that. But it, whoever, he's talking to one of Josiah's sons, and he says, you think you're a king because you got nice cedar buildings? Your father, meaning Josiah, was a good guy. He doesn't say anything about this reformation. Again, my point is, is that why? Because Jeremiah is focused on what God tells him to focus on. Don't be distracted by all the bells and whistles and the pretty smoke coming up from the temple. That stuff, you're going to see some smoke coming up from the temple and it's not a pleasing odor. That's what the message is. It's bad is coming, not good. But if you just read Zephaniah and Jeremiah, no favorable pictures. Here's what you get in those days. This is what we read from the prophets. They tell us that there's a false sense of security. People think, oh, look at us, we're holy. We have the Torah, we got the temple, we're keeping the feast. We're just holy, holy, holy as us. Uh, The confidence is not in God, but it's in their own wealth and in uh, foreign alliances. See, we can almost see the the thought processes in Josiah. He says, you know, I see that Egypt, Nico, is going to be, uh, is going to ally with uh, the Assyrians against Babylon. But I think if I support Babylon, and this is the thing we read all the way through, the prophets, who are you supporting? And at times God even tells them who to side with. My point is, he didn't tell Josiah at this point, side with Babylon, and he did, and he died for it. So their alliances, their confidence is in Egypt will save me, or Babylon will save me, or Assyria will save me, or my wealth. But bad leadership, political and religious is ultimately what leads to the demise of everything. 
Zephaniah says it's going to come to pass in the days of Josiah's sons, and history would oblige. We have no evidence that Zephaniah knew Jeremiah or that Jeremiah knew Zephaniah. We don't read about them going together to eat lunch. We don't know that they ever met. Nothing indicates that Josiah knew Jeremiah or Zephaniah or that their messages ever reached his palace. I know this is shocking because we want to think, oh, there's a prophet in the day and we know stories like Nathan and David and Hezekiah and Isaiah. We don't know the details about Zephaniah's appointment or his calling as a prophet, only that he was a prophet during the days of Josiah, son of Ammon. But Jeremiah is different. And as we work through his prophecies and we look for similarity in words and phrases and concepts and, and, and such, we'll be able to make more sense of Zephaniah. This is what's going to be interesting as we work through. Now, with this background, we are ready to take a closer look at the words of Jeremiah and Zephaniah as they apply in the days of Josiah. We're going to begin with Jeremiah's call. What did God tell him when he spoke to him the first time in the 13th year of Josiah's reign? What is his mission? What is he going to do? What is he going to say? And we're going to get into all of that beginning next week. Shabbat Shalom, Shavuot Tov.